Blog Talk Radio. Major League Fantasy Baseball radio show on Blog Talk Network. I am your host, Cole Friel, live on Thursday, May 30th. Um, We'll be having the normal show routine for you guys. We'll deal with some of the most recent injuries in baseball. We'll talk about some of the news. Um, The closer we get to the trade deadline on these baseball shows, the, the, the more we'll be talking about potential trade rumors. Uh, going on. We'll also be uh, potentially recapping some series looking forward to this uh, next week. Um, This is also our last, uh, me and Kyle's last Thursday baseball show. Uh, If you're a general sports fan, this this show will turn over uh, to a football show moving forward. Uh, But as May is ending, so is our Thursday baseball show. Um, And I'd like to bring in uh, my co-host for on Thursday for one last time, Kyle Amore. Um, Kyle is a writer with me uh, alongside us at MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. He is also a former collegiate and semi-professional uh, pitcher. Um, how you doing, Kyle? You know, right before the show started, um, a couple of the things we were talking about uh, were, uh, you know, NBA Finals starts tonight for, for people who aren't uh, only into baseball. And then uh, also – Right now we have a Twins Rays series where the you know the combined records of these teams are uh, 37 and 17 and 34 and 19, which is you know just incredible to see that being a, a you know a blockbuster series uh, so to speak based on the records. Uh, so how how you doing today? Anything anything catch your interest? Yeah, no, it, it's going to be an exciting night tonight. Starts the NBA Finals. One player I'm going to watch. Because I think he has a chip on his shoulder now after being in all NBA stuff is uh, Clay Thompson. So I I I, do, I would not want to be guarding him this series, but uh, I'm looking for him to really put it, you know, uh, show the guys that didn't and and girls that didn't vote for him, show him a thing or two about leaving him off that all NBA squad. But um, no, I'm looking forward to that. There's one thing I did want to add. Uh, we did lose Bill Buckner on Monday, and you know everyone knows Bill Buckner's name. Everyone knows one of the most famous plays that he's infamous for, but, you know, I, I think a lot of times we get caught up in horrible situations or ones that, you know, great players, great people, you know, don't necessarily want to be remembered for. But, you know, there's a few things I wanted to throw out about him because, I mean, if you really look at his numbers, this guy, I mean, arguably a Hall of Famer. I mean, throughout 22 seasons he played only 450 strikeouts and over 10,000 plate appearances in all seasons. Every single season, he was under 40 strikeouts. 39 strikeouts in the season was the most he's ever had. He was just under 300, uh, excuse me, yeah, just under 300 hits shy of 3,000. And, I mean, for him as well as being as good of a hitter as he was, too, he was just as solid of a defender, too. He owned a 991 fielding percentage throughout his entire career, and that spanned from first base, left field, and right field, too. So, you know, I, I just want to give a shout-out to him, the career he had, because, I mean, if, if we want to talk numbers as much as we do, and, you know, I, I mean, I know nowadays with the game, the way we see, we see strikeouts, 
in, in overabundance at times, and we don't play, pay too much attention to it because we're like, yeah, as long as they're hitting home runs. But, I mean, looking back to the career of Bill Buckner had and never striking out more than 39 times in a single season and having only 450 strikeouts and 10,000 plate appearances and just under 3,000 hits, this guy, man, he, he's right there with a the Hall of Fame uh, career. Yeah, you know, um, you, you mentioned difference in era. Obviously, strikeout percentage is a lot higher now on average than it was back then. Uh, but over his 10,000 career plate appearances, his strikeout percentage sat uh, at 4.5%, and he was a career 290 hitter. Uh, and that 290 came after, you know, uh, not a big sample, but his last three uh, partial seasons uh, as, you know, 23 years in the big leagues he he had a couple drop-offs in terms of batting average uh so close to a 300 hitter uh throughout the course of his career um before we uh get into the meat of today's show i'd like to remind our audience of our partner thrive fantasy sports uh thrive fantasy offers a different kind of uh daily fantasy sports model than the traditional uh salary-based websites uh, thrive fantasy offers prop bets you can go to thrivefantasy.com or majorleaguefantasysports.com and click thrive fantasy link uh, and then on checkout if you put in the promo code mlfs they will m- match your first ten dollars that's thrivefantasy.com and the promo code mlfs um like i said earlier on the show we are going to be transitioning to a football show we'll be a uh, you know, someone else will be taking over, and it'll be a, a, a different show moving forward if you listen during this Thursday block. Um, if you are one of those football fans uh, who is interested in joining one of our Major League Fantasy Sports uh, leagues uh, and, and you think you'd be a good fit for one of our competitive leagues, uh, you can email Corey D. Roberts at uh, Major League Fantasy Sports at gmail.com. That's Corey D. Roberts at Major League Fantasy Sports at gmail.com. Um, and then lastly, if you like the work we do here, either on these shows, baseball shows, football shows, um, articles from either sport, uh, if you like the work we do here, you can go to patreon.com slash major league fantasy sports. Uh, that's patreon.com slash major league fantasy sports. If you'd like to contribute. So, um, moving on, getting into the meat of today's show, uh, couldn't find a, a ton of interesting injuries, um, but there is one highly interesting injury, so to speak, with a, a bit of a weird story attached to it, and it's this uh, masseuse-induced uh, Carlos Correa rib fracture. Um, he apparently had a fractured rib while getting a, a massage, I believe is how uh, uh, the story is currently going. But uh, regardless of the fact, uh, Carlos Correa has a fractured rib. Uh, did you catch this story or uh, have any thoughts on um, you know what the what the potential fallout could be. Yeah, I mean, they, it's kind of a head scratcher. You're talking about breaking a rib, fracturing a rib while getting a massage. It, it just the story doesn't seem to add up. I mean, unless someone was standing on his back, it seems almost impossible to get a a fractured rib from that. I mean, I've heard of deep tissue massages before, but I mean, this takes it to a whole entire another level. And you know, it 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 it, it really for Correa because, you know, the past few seasons he really has been, you know, beat up with injuries, and now this is just another one to add to his resume and another fluke one. I mean, early in the season, we had Blake Snell breaking his toe while moving a, a granite vase while he was getting out of the shower, and now we have this. But, 
it, it's kind of isn't that kind of part of baseball? I remember in years past with Sammy Sosa having back spasms after sneezing and missing some time. But I mean, luckily for the Astros, it's disappointing. But I mean, the season that Alex Bregman's on right now, the tear I should say he's on, and you know having the depth that they do, and you know they've been calling up prospects left and right. The Astros are going to be fine. They're going to get through this. But, I mean, for fantasy owners of Correa and Carlos Correa himself, this is something that's very disappointing. Yeah, obviously, um, maybe not a long-term injury, but, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you expect to earn a couple injuries over the course of your career, um, and you, you don't hope to catch any of these fluke ones. And, and we've already had so many problems, and you're trying to avoid so many things, uh, you know, you don't want to have to add getting a massage to the list of the things you're worried about as a player. Um, regardless, Carlos Correa probably going to miss a, a little bit of time with that fractured rib. Um, couldn't find a, a second big name on the injury list. Uh, Mitch Moreland's been off to a pretty good start and is a, is a bigger name if you're a Boston fan, especially because I think he already has like a dozen home runs so far this season. And quite a few of those came early on in the season. Um, JP Crawford, used to be was a former top prospect but isn't much of a name especially in fantasy baseball uh, as he doesn't you know generate a whole lot of stats even with playing time Uh, and then Zach Cozart had a really good career year right before getting uh, becoming a free agent I should say Um, got the deal with the Angels and has not been healthy since even as a club he could potentially add value to that team Um, but on the I.L once again uh any thoughts on these three uh, i know they're not the biggest names to throw out there but uh didn't seem to be uh, too many big names uh, going on injuries that i could see yeah i i think the the most uh, uh notable well i shouldn't say most notable but the, the one that has the most effect is probably mitch mullen for right now because like you said i mean he's having a solid season in terms of the long ball and we had to remember too He's a gold glove caliber first baseman defensively, too. So, you know, it is it, something to miss. And, and you got to remember, too, yeah, we talk about their bats, but when you play that kind of defense at first base and you're able to, you know, uh, dig balls out of the dirt on double double play balls or balls hitting the, uh, you know, in the hole at short or even, you know, coming over from any infield position, you know, that's something that will be missed. And, you know, I, I mean, if you look at Steve Pierce, he really hasn't put it together. He hasn't had a, a very strong – uh, uh, first two months of the season at, at all. So, you know, this is something for the the Red Sox to try to, you know, weather the storm until he comes back. But luckily with the lower back strain, hopefully for him, it's something that will maybe miss the most of a, a, a week or two. I know they put him on the 10-day uh, DL, so that's, that's a good sign. But, again, back strain like that is something to pay attention to because it could linger and there's not a whole lot he can do to rest and, you know, get some therapy on it. Um, with J.B. Crawford, too, it's it's really – it's not a good time for the Mariners having any injuries because, I mean, they're already without D. Gordon after he got hit on the wrist. So, he's – you know, I think it's today he's just now starting to get back into baseball activity. So, he needs to get in the swing of things. And this team, coming out of the gates, the Mariners' offense was tremendous. They were on fire, but they've slowed down since. I mean, Domingo Santana came out extremely hot. He slowed down a little bit. Mitch Hanniger as well, just the entire team. Ryan Healy uh, on the DL as well. So, you know, they've battled their fair share of injuries. So, it's, you know, it, it, they, they need a healthy team because right now they're struggling. They came out hot. So uh, any injury I consider significant, especially when you have guys that play the same position as these 
current guys getting injured that are injured as well. Uh, Zach Cozart, I mean, that's just a frustrating thing for him. It almost sounds like he came back too soon because he did have that labrum tear and had surgery on it. And, you know, I've said in the past on this show, we talk about Tommy John surgery. The elbows are all right. You know, you, you miss about a year, year and a half or so. You're coming back, but it really takes you a year and a half to two before you're looking like you did, you know, pre-injury. But labrum tears, rotator cuff tears, uh, excuse me, rotator cuff tears, you just don't know with that shoulder. You don't know how it's going to heal. Some guys don't heal. I've, I've named the pitchers that have had issues, and they never came back. Brandon Webb, Mark Pryor, Johan Santana was never the same. So, Again, I know Cozart is a position player, but, I mean, to have issues with this surgically repaired left shoulder, it's just not a good sign. It's definitely it's disappointing for him, too, and hopefully it's not career-ending, but for his sake, he needs to be 100% before he gets back on the diamond. There, you, you can't, once you're feeling better, you can't just come back. You need to make sure that strength in that shoulder is back and, and you're good to go. Yeah, great stuff there. Um, you know, I was a really big fan of that Cozart coming off of that career contract the year. I, I bought into a lot of the small changes he made. Um, so I've been disappointed to, to see him not able to keep healthy. Um, and I do think at this point, you know, it, it's hard to say when when you get to a certain age, which Cozart is starting to get to, you know, ages that are pushing it um, for, for his future. But uh, at the same time, you just have to be, as you said, patient. Uh, because at this point, coming back early for Zach Cozart doesn't really mean anything. You know, he, he's been unable to stay on the field. And when you're unable to stay on the field, you know, you're not doing anybody any good anyway. Uh, so, you know, might as well try to get as close to 100% as you're ever going to be again um, before the next time you, you try to go out there. And, and plus, you know, the Angels' dreams of uh, really competing this year. You know, I think they definitely had dreams of it uh, with with the Trout contract. And, you know, they're not super far out of first place uh, so far – or, excuse me, they're not super far out of 500 uh, so far this year. So it, it's not as if they're doing horrible. Um, but, you know, there's four teams in the American League that already have 34 wins. Uh, so, so the barrier to entry for the playoffs might be a little high, uh, and, and the Angels are already about eight games out of the first wild card spot. They're a little close to the second one, but still uh, not necessarily going the way you would have hoped it would go if you were an Angels fan. Um, we talked about this also before we got into the show, but you know the draft is, is right around the corner now. Um, Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell remain free agents. Um, you know, both of them could still be waiting for figures. Both of them could still be, um, you know, refusing to sign with teams uh, unless they get certain figures um, after this deadline. So it by no means uh, will be an immediate, like, these two guys sign contracts as soon as the draft is over. Um, but I don't think it's also uh, that crazy to imagine that the moment the draft is over – you know, one or two of these guys sign uh, as soon as a team can make the deal without compensation, uh, surrendering a compensation pick. Um, and, and the team could feasibly get an upgrade of either starting pitcher or a closer, uh, depending on how quickly they, they could, uh, you know, adapt to the circumstances surrounding them. Uh, any interesting talking points to you when it comes to uh, Kimbrell or Keiko or this whole uh, draft free agency situation? 
Yeah, so so this draft is coming up next week, uh, June 3rd to June 5th, and, you know, the the whole stipulation with that is when teams make qualifying offers of these players, even if they reject it, they made that offer. If another team signs them prior to the draft, they have to give up a compensatory pick, and, you know, the other the team that lost the player gets it. Well, now with the whole CBA and we know how money's spent and the contracts, you know, the guys aren't getting the contracts they're expecting. They're not wanting to lose picks as well because that's how you build. That's where you get the true value. You get your true value through uh, uh, drafting players. It's not through free agencies where you're going to overpay. Sure as hell isn't through trades where you've seen a lot of teams pay up and, you know, arguably trade away some of their – their, the the future uh, for the uh, for these players, so you know it is important to pay attention to. But yeah, as soon as Monday gets here, I wouldn't be shocked if come Monday um, you, we see both of them signed. Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen here shortly. Just like I mean, I, I'd say, art probably. I, I don't I don't know if it has to go up to the day of or the time of the draft starting. Not sure how that works, but yeah, I mean, I think Kimbrel probably the most lucrative out there because we know that there's so many teams that need to solidify that ninth inning and, and really help the back end of the bullpen. So Kimbrell, I mean, looking for, I mean, it's kind of a, a storybook ending for his career being in the twilight of his career going to Atlanta. They need help in that ninth inning. They could use it. And I mean, they're going to make a run. This team is young and they're on fire. You got Austin Riley who came up, who we'll talk about a little bit later, who's just, I mean, he's better than expected. He's been absolutely on a tear. On the other side, too, I think what makes Dallas Keuchel intriguing is, you know, we, we see these teams that are going to compete, and they're young. They still have uh, prospects that are, you know, right around the point where they should be coming up in the next uh, one or two seasons. But you don't, even if you're close to the playoffs and you're going to be in the playoffs, you don't want to trade away the pieces of your future you know, to get these guys, because you're not guaranteed you're going to win the World Series. It doesn't work like that. What makes Keuchel so intriguing is the fact that he has that track record. He is a ground ball pitcher. As long as he can get the, the slider and everything working, he can get some ground balls. But he's also a free agent, meaning teams sign him. They're not going to have to give up draft picks. They're not going to have to trade away any prospects as well. So, you know, you and I talked about this before we came on air. A team like Minnesota that's right there, they're in a weak division, they're on a tear offensively, you know, their home run record right now, or excuse me, their home run totals are setting records. So Minnesota getting a a guy like Dallas Keuchel, who's already a ground ball pitcher, and then you're going to play your home games in target field. I mean, that's just kind of a perfect scenario for a team like Minnesota. And, again, they wouldn't have to lose any assets. Yeah, uh, you know, we talk about assets. I think that's the biggest thing because, you know, I mean, it's hard to always quantify, but when, when you're going after a pitcher or a, a player, you're you're accumulating a, a number of assets or, or uh, you know, paying a number of assets for that player. Uh, it's why when you think about paying a player like Bryce Harper uh, X number of dollars, um, even in a situation like that, you have to try to, uh, imagine what the financial value might be of a prospect package for a, for a high level player or something like that. As all these things uh, come down, you know, to making sense of, of value or, or a sense of value. Um, when it comes to Kimbrell and Keuchel, um, yes, you'll miss half the season, and, and it's hard to know how they're going to come out 
of this, uh, you know, blur when we get into mid-2019 and we're seeing Kimberlin and Keuchel uh, for the very first time. But, but for a team acquiring them, uh, the acquisition co- cost, even in terms of uh, – even if the cost is still the same in terms of millions, um, you know, if if the fact that the market's been so slow on Kimberlin Keiko has allowed the millions to go south just a little bit, and this time has uh, allowed you to not lose a draft pick, um, it, it becomes easier and easier to to acquire them for for virtually no risk or, or a risk that seems uh, smaller and smaller anyway. Um, I think just just this name onto our, our news sheet, uh, he, it's more of a performance uh, evaluation, um, but I, I happened to catch a couple articles uh, about his, his development on MLB trade rumors, uh, and that, that would be Lucas Giolito. Uh, have you happened to catch any of his recent games? Because uh, I, I know he's been turning some uh, popular heads, so to speak, in that uh, I've been seeing a lot of buzz about his recent performance trends. Yeah, no, I, I really like the way this kind of evolved from talking about the free agents right into the trade rumors. He goes, you know, it, this goes hand in hand. We talk about assets as well, but when you're trading for a player, you don't want the one-year deal. You want some, you know, you know, you want a player with control. You know, they might be able to go to arbitration, but they're not going to be a free agent until you know year X. But with uh, Lucas Giolito too. I mean, he's under control through 2024. If you want to talk about going after a guy that was once the top overall pitching prospect in the game, and, you know, he has had his ups and downs. And, and I mean, I'm not, it's not necessarily, you know, his own fault. He's going from Washington where they really truly, uh, I mean, other than Strasburg, have they really truly been able to develop their own pitching? No, not necessarily. I mean, they got Scherzer in, in, as a free agent. But, you know, coming over the White Sox, he did – struggle mightily but he's been on a tear since april 17th i mean he's gone over 43 innings pitch 51 k's only 11 walks and only eight earned runs in that in that time span but the thing about him too is the white Sox are up and coming they have arguably the best minor league system in the game i mean overall if you're looking at their depth in terms of position players and pitchers it's hard to argue that anyone's uh, minor league system comes close i mean if you think of pitching yeah atlanta they probably have you know, a, a plethora of arms. But, I mean, overall, White Sox have it. They're still looking. They're they're going to be looking to add more depth to that minor league system. Now, Lucas Jolito, if they're going to move him, now would be the time because of the, this run he's on right now where he's, he's looking unhittable. I mean, he's looking that good. And the thing is, too, getting a starting pitcher like this is putting it together with that control through 2024. Like, yeah, that's five years from now. Teams are going to have to pay up, and they're going to have to pay up big. So if one team that's looking – or any team that's looking to go after him, what are they willing to, uh, you know, to give? Because the White Sox aren't going to give him away for free, especially with the he's, he's been on. So they look for the best possible option uh, for a trade. Even then, as well, I mean, if they, if they believe he's turned it on and he's fixed it and this is what they're going to get the next few years, they might as well hold on to him. Because if you think about it, if you get Jolito like this, you're going to have Michael Kopech eventually come up here. You're going to have uh, Dylan Bundy come up as well and some of these other arms that they have. I mean, once their position players come up too, if you if you pair them with this uh, potential they have with their with their starting pitchers, this team could be a force to be reckoned with. You, you're talking about something comparable to, to an Astros-type lineup. Now, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be that good because everyone needs to pan out and 
you know, reach their potential. But, I mean, this White Sox team is scary good in, in, or in terms of their talent and their minor league system. Yeah, no, the, the projected, like, three-headed monster, even, uh, you know, if, if Renato Lopez can put something together, whether in the bullpen or as a, as a late-in starter, but the projected three-headed monster of uh, Lucas Giolito, Michael Kolpak, and Dylan, Dylan Cease. Cease. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it, just two different Dylans. But, yeah, Dylan Cease uh, is very interesting. Uh for the Chicago White Sox, I think all of them have incredibly high upsides. I was actually a little surprised, and you know it makes sense because Giulio wasn't just like a top pro- top pitching prospect; he was the top pitching prospect at the time. But I was a little surprised when I looked at it and I saw that Giulio was only 24 years old. Because I mean, you know, just right back to it, that that means he made his debut 20 at 21. I mean, this is a guy who made his debut at 20 in in, in the year 2016. Uh, and it's now 2019. Giolito is about to turn 25 years old uh, in July. It is possible that he's just starting to uh, finally put it all together. Um, it, it's a very interesting case, and, and he'll be interesting uh, to watch for the rest of the year. Uh, I think if I'm the White Sox, I'm honestly probably holding on to him, but that all depends on, you know, your own timeline for success. I'm hoping that my uh, Moncada, Anderson, uh, Madrigal being a guy who's a little bit closer, and Jimenez uh, is, is going to start being able to, to translate. You know, they weren't able to try to, to try to do a Padres jump start with Manny Machado or Bryce Harper that they tried to pull off. Um, but I, I still think it's you know fairly possible that that they find another way to jump start it or just continue to uh, develop these players. Uh, so you know, it, it all depends on what my idea of the timeline is. Uh, if I'm the Chicago White Sox, and also, you know, if I believe that Giulio can sustain this and stay healthy. I don't know what the medicals look like, but he has had problems uh, with his consistency in the past, Uh, and it takes a little bit more than 10 starts, I think, to fully uh, sell yourself on the idea of consistency. Um, We'll get into one closer as a trade rumor first, and then uh, a couple more in in maybe some different capacities. Alex Colome is a name that's been uh, getting tossed around in some trade rumors. Uh, I don't know what kind of deal he is on, but it's it's definitely a free agency deal, and it can't be long term. It's either a one or two year deal, um, and, and he's been a very solid closer so far uh, for this uh, Chicago White Sox team. Um, one five nine ERA, eleven saves so far to start the season. He is still only thirty years old. Um, Maybe he is still under team control. I'm not exactly sure of his situation, but regardless, I think for the White Sox, you know, he's a 30-year-old reliever, and he's not like Chapman or Diaz when it comes to uh, the way you project dominance. So this is the kind of piece that uh, a team like the White Sox is likely to sell, I would say. So I think Colome is one of the more reasonable or likely names to be moved at the trade deadline. Uh, do you think that's a, a pretty fair assessment? And, and and what are your takes on you know some of these situations either coming or going? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the fact that he does have control through 2021, he you know he's arbitration eligible this off season, but he uh, he still he has that control through uh, 2021. So you know that that makes it uh, more desirable for a team inquiring for his uh, his help there in the, the back end of their bullpen. And I mean the thing is too. 
I, I get he's playing in an AL Central that's not the deepest of divisions at this time, but if you look at his track record and his history, too, I mean, back with his days in Tampa Bay, I mean, he's playing in the AL East, and that's no walk in the park, and he did have two straight seasons with over 37 uh, saves, 2016, 37, 2017, 47, too. So he does have that history of being able to, to close out the ninth inning. Now, you know, like you said, too, he's not going to be – one of these guys like Chapman or Kimbrell or Kenley Jansen where he's going to strike out or have a, an outrageous uh, uh, K for nine rate, but he can get out. He can get ground ball outs, and he can get guys to swing and miss at times. I mean, he's just got to hit his spots, and that's, you know, one of those guys. He's not going to beat you with the 99-mile-an-hour fastball. It's just not his game, but he does have the track record. He does have control, and the White Sox aren't competing this year. And, again, like I said, if they can add assets, and you know they want to, they're definitely going to dangle him. He's going to be available. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I misspoke earlier about him being a free agency acquisition. I thought he had played in in the league more years. Uh, I, I had forgotten the transaction that they got him in. Uh, Chicago White Sox traded him, uh, traded Omar Narvaez, who, who plays catcher, uh, for the Seattle Mariners for Alex Colome. Alex Colome has been a, a really solid, low-cost pickup for them Uh with the sub two ERA and closing out the games like he has, um, but his BABIP is a little um, unsustainably low, um, and, and he, like I said, he probably isn't uh, going to consistently be one of the most dominant relief pitchers in baseball. Um, so he is in in the right position uh, for a team like the White Sox to to see the value now uh, of shipping him for for a piece. You know, to a team like you know the Braves, for instance, who you know. I do think the Braves are a leading candidate for Kimbrel, but even if the Braves get Kimbrel, that bullpen, those bullpen problems aren't get, going away uh, with just Craig Kimbrel. They might need to add two or three guys uh, if they want a, a legitimate shot at it. Um, you know, these these teams will have to find what they're they're willing to pay uh, for Colome uh, uh, or or relief pitchers in general, and and for the White Sox that that could turn around uh, into a long term asset. Um, couple closers you know we talked about closers we've been talking about closers a lot the last couple weeks um a couple closers we didn't touch on last week shane green off to an incredible start in terms of volume uh he's, he's you know slowed down so to speak uh in the last couple uh weeks even in the month of may but that's just because his uh start in terms of just volume of saves uh was so torrid especially for a guy who was on a team that we didn't expect to be uh 500 uh greg holland you know the case, the simple case of the old veteran uh, who's under contract getting the saves because that's a a, a nice, simple, simple and easy place to put them uh, for for the books, for the finances. Uh, Holland Holland fits into that role in Arizona, and he's been doing a, a, a pretty good job of it. Um, and then one more topic we we put on here: um, Would Pittsburgh entertain offers for Felipe Vasquez? Uh, and I think one thing that's very interesting about that, uh, not necessarily in terms of Vasquez, but in terms of the Pittsburgh Pirates situation, is uh, I saw an advanced stat, uh, or just a stat, rather, earlier. Um, and uh, I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I, I just wanted to point it out because I can point it out uh, a different way. Um, the NL Central is the closest division in baseball by a ton. Like, uh, the, the disparity from first to last in every other division is, I believe, at least 13 games. Uh, in the AL East, it's 19 and a half from first to last. In the AL Central, 19 and a half. 
from the AL West, 13.5, from the NL East, 13, uh, and from the NL West, 14.5. From the NL Central, it's six games from first to last place. Um, you know, and, and that's the Reds that are in last, uh, the Cardinals and the Pirates, uh, and you know, really the Reds as well are all anchoring at that, that 500 level. Um, so it, it's interesting to, to think what the Pirates' uh, you know, goals will be. I think they're, they're a team in particular that could be in that uh, buyer or seller window where they really do want to take a stance by July, but uh, they're, they're glad, honestly, that they don't have to take the stance uh, on May 31st and, and soon July 31st because uh, they're hoping the next two months of gameplay will either set them up to make the playoff run this year uh, or maybe sell off some of the assets off the top. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I mean, looking at just going down the list, too, with Shane Green, I mean, he, he's another guy that will not be a free agent after this year. Are eligible, yes, but he does have control for an, for an extra season until 2021. So, uh, you know, that's appealing, too. Like you said, you know, they have put him to work. They're, Detroit's definitely getting their money's worth out of him, and he's been good. I mean, he's got a sub-one whip, and that's pretty damn good. And, yeah, I mean, he may not be a high strikeout guy like you know, other guys, but, I mean, 27 Ks to 7 walks, not bad at all. 18 saves on the season, dynamite. And, I mean, that can be just a, an extra shot of adrenaline for him going to a team that's going to be competing. So, He's a guy I definitely wouldn't mind going after. I, I think he can be had for a, a, a fairly decent price. I don't think you'd have to overpay for him. Same with Greg Holland. I just don't know how much I do trust him. I mean, last season was kind of a disaster. And, you know, I, it's understandable. He didn't get the contract that he was hoping to get, and he signed late. But, uh, I mean, this year he has looked solid too. But, again, he's going to be a one-year rental. So I think he'd be the least appealing out of a lot of the closers we've talked about this uh, past two weeks. Now, Felipe, uh, Felipe Vasquez, I added him for a reason. You want to talk about a dynamic arm? He has that dynamic arm. He's probably the closest thing you will see to an Arola Chapman, a guy that's still in upper 90s, also left-handed, a guy with a, just a smidgen over one whip, 1.57 ERA, but 37 strikeouts to five uh, walks. The thing about him, he has three years of control. So you want to get a closer at the back end of your rotation with that control, it's going to be Vasquez, and he has that swing and miss stuff. That's the thing, you know, that, that you want in the ninth inning. You want guys that pitch to contact. You just don't want it. You want guys that are going to go out there, they're going to be able to elevate that high 90s fastball and get swings and misses, and that's what he does. Now, I added him uh, uh, to the list of topics earlier in the week, or I should say yesterday since we waited, but – uh the thing about uh, about Pittsburgh, too, they're, they're going to make moves. We've already seen them make moves. They traded arguably their two top prospects to Tampa Bay in Austin Meadows. We know what kind of season he's having. They traded uh, Tyler Glass now, and he's looking like he figured it out. He might have been wild when he first got the call, but, I mean, the dude throws upper 90s as well. But he seemed to have really figured it out. And in, in Tampa Bay, they have a history of being able to develop pitchers. That's been one of their fortes for well over the past decade. And we, you know, we've seen it with numerous pitchers. So for them to trade those two and only get back Chris Archer, who is looking like uh, just a complete mess right now and then coming off the DL probably too early and just getting absolutely shelled, uh, I mean, they're, they're going to make moves. Hopefully they learn something from that Meadows and Glassnow trade, and they're going to be able to get a solid package. But here, here's the thing, too. Say the Braves somehow get outbid for Kimbrel in terms of what they're offering. 
Well, the Braves have the prospects, and they've got many prospects. Not just pitching. They have position players, and they don't have to go super, super high. But, I mean, think about the arms they have in there, too. We've already seen Bryce Wilson come up. We saw uh, Chucky Desant, who's been in the bullpen right now. Uh, we, we saw uh, – who's the other uh, – Kyle uh, – who's the um, – I can't think of his last name right now. We saw him. Yeah, there you go. Kyle Wright, who started the – uh, the season there, and you get, they have Ian Anderson, who there's no way that they would flip him uh, in, in that trade, but they have a, a plethora of talent in their position players, too. Well, if they say Kimbrell, they don't want to offer him more than a two year deal, and they want someone with a little bit more control and has a, you know, a, a decent amount on his salary, you could see them make a move for Felipe Vasquez, and I think he would be a phenomenal fit for him, uh, many other teams, too, but definitely for. Um, uh, for Atlanta, and the one thing I want to bring up too with his, with his, uh, with his contract too. This year he's only owed four and a half million. Not bad at all. Next year five point seven five, two thousand twenty one seven point seven five. Then he's got an option in two thousand twenty two and two thousand twenty three, which each each year would be ten million dollars. Ten million dollars for arguably an, uh, an electric closer like that. I I just I really think that we're going to see more teams in on uh, Felipe Vasquez than, than we think. He's going to be a hot commodity here coming up in the next few weeks. It will be interesting to see because, you know, I think with that contract and uh, with at worst the Pirates probably being in a state of competitive limbo where they're, you know, not one of these polar terrible teams um, because, you know, uh, we've already mentioned at one point that that the AL, uh, or excuse me, the AL Central or the AL in general has four teams at the very top uh, of the game. You know, in the sport in general, we have the Marlins at 19 wins, you know, the Giants at 22 wins, the Orioles at 17, the Royals at 18. Um, you know, there's so many teams that are in this 26, 27, uh, 29 win range that, that the Pirates are in. Um, that you know, it's kind of in a state of competitive limbo uh, because you're not likely to get some of the top picks in the draft. Um, so really, what it comes down to is, is managing these assets. Um, a Felipe Vasquez type player is a very high level commodity, uh, and, and for any team, especially a team with a real big budget, uh, it's a team. It's a player that every team would like to have. That you know, a team like the Cubs would love to have uh, for the long term. Um, you, you know, but ultimately, a team like the Pirates, for one thing, uh, is typically a very, very low-budget team uh, and doesn't spend a lot of money in free agency. Um, so, if if the value that they could get in the trade market uh, for future assets that they could use for six years uh, comes up, I, I think the Pirates are going to, uh, you know, dip their feet in the water at the very least to see if uh, there's someone interested uh, in paying uh, a pitcher, a starting pitcher or a hitter uh, for the next six years that they could use uh, in, in a trade-off uh, simply for Felipe Vasquez. Uh, we'll get into some players uh, worth an ad next, but uh, anything anything else that you, th- uh, that you thought we might want to discuss in terms of the news? Uh, I didn't see too much. Like I said in the news this week, that w- w- was worth mentioning uh, outside of what we've talked about so far. Um, I know our Cubs just signed Carlos Gonzalez, but that that's a minor league deal. Uh, so not only is it not likely to be a, be a big deal because of of where Gonzalez is, but he's also starting uh, in AAA. Um, I know that Forrest Whitley's been dealing with 
some shoulder or some some fatigue of some sort. Yeah, shoulder fatigue. Um, Mike Zunino's close to returning, but uh, anything stick out to you uh, this week that we haven't talked about so far? No, I, I thought you could, uh, you brought up a good point just then with Forrest Whitley. I, I mean, a guy that's proven pretty much all he needs to in the minor leagues, but he is coming back from Tommy John surgery. And, you know, you, we talked about it early in the season with hitters going up there and pressing, like a guy like Jesus Aguilar and you know, other guys, and he hasn't broken out of it. But, you know, looking at Forrest Whitley, think about Houston. I mean, they've already won the World Series just a couple seasons ago. They're looking arguably like one of the, if not the, one of the top teams in baseball. And, you know, the, their their pitchers are looking awfully good, especially with the run support they're getting. I, I mean, for Forrest Whitley, he's got to be eager to get that call. And I think because of that, too, coming back from an injury, his numbers don't look very good. He has been getting hit pretty pretty decent. He has been wild. But, you know, I, I think this is a guy that's trying to go out there and do way too much, really bring that fastball. The guy throws 100 miles an hour, and he I think his fastball average is like 98.2 or something like that. And, you know, with that being said, he's going out there and trying to blow guys away, trying to expedite his arrival to Houston. Because of that, that's why you are seeing that fatigue. It's a, it, it, is a, it, it does put a lot of wear and tear in that workload being able to throw in the upper 90s like that. I mean, you don't, how many guys in the upper 90s like that do you see going into the late innings of games, let alone, you know, a, a guy that hasn't even gotten that workload of a major league season. So, you know, I, I think that's something with him that he just needs to relax, you know, watch it. He will get his call. It's going to happen. It's going to be, happen this season, but he needs to show them that not only is he physically ready, but he's mentally able to come up there and, and you know, and, and, ultimately get out at the major league level. So, you know, that was one thing. And just real quick, too, just then with, like, the Pirates and the NL Central, I mean, this team, it, it's a two, it's a two-horse race. I don't care what anyone says. It truly is a two-horse race between the Cubs and the Brewers. The Cardinals, you know, on paper, they looked awfully good, but their pitching just hasn't been where they needed to. A lot of guys were saying, you know, they were riding Jack Flaherty in as a Cy Young winner for the National League, and it, it just hasn't come together yet for him. They still haven't gotten Carlos Martinez back yet. Uh, Alex Reyes is, is about ready. So they have some issues. They have some holes. You know, their offense has struggled at times. So it's just, just not a lot of consistency, uh, consistency with them. But, you know, to be completely honest with you, looking at the teams towards the bottom of the division, a team like the Reds, they have put it together. Now, if they can get some uh, consistency out of their pitching, I don't you know. I don't think they're going to win this division by any means, but they do have talent in the minor leagues too, with Jonathan India and a few other guys that are getting ready to get called up here within the next season or two. But they do have enough where I think they could make a fight and push for like at least third in the division. That being said, too, with Pittsburgh, Josh Bell has got to be up there with at least top three in my eyes for the NL uh, MVP award. We know Christian Yelich has got to be top. There's, there's no question about it. But Josh Bell has been an absolute monster this season. And the thing is, with Pittsburgh, you have him. You have him under control. If you can trade some assets and build up that minor league system, be competitive in five seasons, then do it. Because they didn't do enough when they were in the, the, the playoffs just, what, about four or five seasons ago. And then they started selling pieces. And I know that frustrated the fans, but you and I talked about this before the season started out there in Cleveland when the, the owner came out and saying that, oh, we're not going to sign uh, Michael Brantley. You know, we don't really want to give money here or there. But your window shuts fast when that happens, and we're seeing it. Cleveland is there. I mean, offensively, they're just not getting it done. Well, Pittsburgh, I get it. 
The owner wanted to be cheap like that. Their window shut. Well, now's the time. Start building. Start building that minor league system and get ready to compete in four or five years when you still have a player like Josh Bell on the team. I don't need, I don't care if that means having to sell Starling Marte, who's he is over 30 now. So if you can get whatever you can get out of him, start looking to ship him. Rivero as well. Chris Archer. I mean, I would probably look to move in, but I don't know how many people are going to be buying on the numbers he's sporting right now, and then with health concerns. But yeah, they, it's just the Pirates need to figure something out. And if I were them, I think it would be smart to really start gaining some assets. Yeah, I, I think Starling Marte is a, a good name that can be thrown out there for a player that still has value uh, all over the field, uh, also for fantasy teams uh, for five categories. But, you know, might be the kind of player that at this age, for this kind of a team you're looking to sell uh, to someone who needs a right-handed, skilled uh, outfielder right now uh, and hope to get uh, a long-term asset in the future. Um, in order and sorted by WRC+, plus the top three hitters, and, and Woba as well, uh, the top three hitters of the National League so far this year are Cody Bellinger, uh, Josh Bell, and Christian Yelich. So, you know, Bell right up there with the guys getting uh, maybe a little bit more buzz, especially a, a popular buzz in terms of ESPN. You've seen a lot of Yelich. Uh, and Bellinger, because, you know, obviously coming into the season, they were also pretty big names. Uh, Bell less so and, and doesn't play uh, as much defense uh, as either one of them does, but uh, has been an incredibly valuable hitter uh, so far for this Pittsburgh Pirate team. Um, you know, in terms of the St. Louis Cardinals, um, it's interesting because they added Paul Goldschmidt, and I think the real question uh, that we still have, you know, Goldschmidt's got the 360 OBP uh, and has been a solid hitter, but I think the question that's going to remain with Goldschmidt is, you know, is he a 270, 360 guy uh, in terms of batting average and OBP who hits 30 home runs, uh, or, or is he more than that? Is he closer to uh, a player who can threaten to be one of the best hitters in baseball? Uh, you know, I don't necessarily think that's what they paid him to be necessarily, but I think when you get a guy like Goldschmidt who, who plays first base, who locks down first base in the National League, uh, and you do that as a kind of a cornerstone play, I think you're hoping for him uh, to be closer to one of the best uh, hitters in the entire National League. Um, before we move on to the second half of the show and, and deal some deal with some ads and, and some weekend uh, weekday series, uh, I'd like to remind our audience once more of Thrive Fantasy, uh, which offers an alternative to the uh, salary-based daily fantasy game. Uh, ThriveFantasy.com offers prop bets, and if you put in the promo code MLFS, uh, they will match your first $10. That's thrivefantasy.com, or go to majorleaguefantasysports.com, click the Thrive Fantasy link, and put in the promo code MLFS. Uh, if you are a football fan and like to play in competitive football leagues and think you would be a match for Major League Fantasy Sports' uh, competitive football leagues, uh, you can feel free to email Corey D. Roberts at majorleaguefantasysports at gmail.com. That's majorleaguefantasysports.com at gmail.com for both more detail uh, and to just start communication. Uh, and, and then if you would like to donate, if you like the work we do here, you can go to patreon.com slash major league fantasy sports. That's patreon.com slash major league fantasy sports. So you gave me uh, a list of players, Kyle, 
um, that, that you were interested in uh, that we can uh, discuss uh, just to get it started. Um, those five players on the hitting side of things, C.J. Crone, uh, Renato Nunez, uh, and Derek Dietrich, uh, and on the pitching side of things, uh, Lance Lynn and Sonny Gray. So uh, what intrigues you about some of these guys on this on this list of players? Yeah, so when, when I was looking at the list, especially uh, when I wrote my article for Tuesday, uh, all three of these hitters showed up, and I mean, their ad percentage is going up. It's nowhere near what it used to be uh, at the start of the season, and, and, but they are still available in, in, in a decent amount of leagues. I, I, I think I want to say uh, C.J. Crone has the highest uh, own percentage, right around 60%, but it will continue growing, especially playing you know in this offense. But, I mean, on the season – 270, 337, 536 on the slash line there with 13 home runs and 35 RBIs. And, you know, for me looking at uh, – I try to look at that range of the past week – or, excuse me, two weeks to a month. But in this past 15 games for him, he's slashing 360, getting on base at 429, which is excellent, has a 700 uh, sluggage there with four home runs and 12 RBIs. And, you know, looking at it with him, He's absolutely obliterating left-handed pitching, and you know I, I feel that's what this this team has done, even uh, with, with their left-handed hitters on Minnesota too. But I mean, he's slashing 368, 419, 816 against lefties with five, or excuse me, uh, yeah, with five home runs. And the thing is too, he has while he's absolutely obliterating left-handed pitching against righties too. He does have eight home runs out of his 13, so he all, all around has been putting it together. And you know, a player like him too, if they're competing, I feel this is the best team he's played on in in his career. And the fact that they're in first in their division and looking like they could make a run in the playoffs, and I mean, just gives him a whole lot more motivation. And you know, he's still available. Uh, another guy, if you're looking deeper, a guy like Renato, uh, Renato Nunez for Baltimore, looking at his flash line, it's not the most impressive at 239, 289, 482. I, I get there's a lot of players with better flash line than that, but he does have 13 home runs and 32 RBIs. He has been awfully streaky. The swing and misses have been there, but at times he has come up good and come up big against some uh, pretty solid teams. So, you know, in deeper leagues looking at him, I think the, one of the better stories off the waiver wire, kind of like Chris Taylor of two years ago and, 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 and Scooter Jeanette, but uh, Derek Dietrich out there, the former Marlin playing in Cincinnati, he has been in an absolute tear. He did have a game this week where he hit three home runs and on the season – 262, 368, but that slugging or sluggage at 700, 713 is solid. 17 home runs, 36 RBIs. But here's the thing about him: you do want to, uh, if you're looking for your fantasy team, that you want to pay attention to. Left-handed bit, uh, batter, all 17 of his home runs have come against right-handed pitching. So he has struggled against left-handed hitters, and that has been something he's done throughout his entire career. And you know, Scooter Jeanette is getting ready to come off the the DL here shortly for the Reds. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they'd want to do uh, with both of these players. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Our, our Dietrich has with outfield as well. He does carry that eligibility in fantasy league. So you could see that he has split time with Jose Peraza too, when it comes to righty lefty matchups. So again, another player, I mean, 17 home runs on the season. There's no, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to reach 25-plus on the season, assuming he gets the everyday at bat still. But there's no way they're not going to have him in that lineup. Um, on the pitching side of things, 
both of these pitchers were drafted. At times they were dropped. Their, their own percentage, they still are available in leagues. It's a small, small sample or uh, amount of leagues that they're available in. But, you know, there are two that I said, hey, they're available. And if you look at their numbers, they've been awfully good. And, you know, Lance Lynn's going to be, uh, if anyone's looking for a starting pitcher at the trade deadline, he's got to be one of those top names uh, to be available. And, you know, over his past four starts, three earned runs or less, 27 innings pitched, 34 strikeouts, the six walks. So he's been locked in. He has pitched well. The guy has pitched, you know, uh, for a while now, and he has pitched in some pretty big games. But he gives your team a chance to win, and I think that's what makes him so intriguing, especially for fantasy rosters as well as for uh, major league teams. So he's a guy, Sonny Gray, has really, really put it together. And I think it helps that, you know, prior to the season, we talked about how the um, – how uh, Cincinnati brought in his old pitching coach from Vanderbilt, and, you know, they have a good rapport. You know, he, he, he's he been able to work with Gray in the past, and, you know, and, and we're seeing it. His past six starts, three runs or less, 31 innings pitch, 33 Ks to 16 walks. The walks, you know, at times he does put guys on base, but he doesn't give up home runs. He's only given up four home runs in that span. And, you know, if you look at his career numbers, he's never been a guy that's gotten hammered by home runs. If he's had an issue, it's because he gives guys free passes, and then they get shots to the gaps, and, you know, and then they score runs. But for right now, both of those guys, if they're available, and you're either looking for a spot to start here and there when they're up, or you just need to get some more arms on your team, both of those players would be solid additions. Yeah, good, great stuff there, Kyle. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just go one player at a time, same same way. Uh, probably in a different order uh, ultimately. But uh, Derek Dietrich, I think, takes the cake when it comes to um, just the most off-the-wall stats that he's putting up so far this year. Um, You know, having an isolated power that's higher than your BABIP is pretty rare. Uh, Not a whole lot of players pull that off. You know, league average BABIP is probably 300. Uh, League average isolated power is, you know, probably under 200. Um, Derek Dietrich's isolated power is over twice as high as his BABIP. His BABIP is currently 197, uh, an incredibly low and unsustainably low BABIP. He's getting very few hits uh, on balls in play, but his isolated power, on the other hand, is 451, and that comes with 17 home runs and 144 plate appearances, uh, which, you know, give him 600 just for an idea of pace. Give him 600 that's averaging out to more than 60. Um, so obviously an incredible play, uh, home run per plate appearance. But more than that, you know, I mean, we're 53 games in, and he's 144 plate appearances in, and he's never had this many home runs in his entire career. Uh, last year was his previous career high, and he had 16 home runs in 551 plate appearances. Uh, he's now gotten there in 407 fewer plate appearances. So uh, absolutely off-the-wall season so far uh, for Derek Dietrich, uh, almost 30 years old now. Um, so, you know, not not necessarily old, but past the, the, the age that you'd normally expect a player uh, to make a big gain. And like you pointed out, he hasn't necessarily made the gain uh, against lefties as of yet. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see his usage and his abilities moving forward. Uh, but, yeah, the main part, so far his season has just been uh, a completely strange anomaly. Um, 
you know, going into Renato uh, Nunez, uh, you know, when it comes to Nunez, going back to those kind of exact same stats or, you know, in, in another frame of mind to think about it, you're looking for power generation out of Nunez, not necessarily the ability to get on base. Uh, I don't think there's much in Nunez's uh, profile that suggests to us that he's ever going to be that consistent getting on base. Uh, he's got 500 plate appearances so far uh, in his career with a 300 uh, OBP, uh, he's got an extreme pull percentage, uh, does hit the ball pretty hard, uh, but but he's got that, that pop-up pull thing uh, and doesn't take a lot of walks um, and isn't particularly the most fleet of foot. Um, so, so Renato Nunez is, is a player that I wouldn't expect to do too much better uh, than, than his career slash line with potentially a little bit more isolated power. Um, but if he is a full-time player, that, that 240 uh, with a 300 OBP will play enough uh, if he's managing to hit 25 to 30 home runs a season. Uh, one of the things he needs to work on, uh, and you know this is a very quick glance at one particular stat, um, but, but Fangraphs has become much more negative uh, about the defensive value he provides a team uh, so far this year. Um, you know, if you can be a solid third baseman, and, and uh, by that I mean a solid glove at third base, um, you can be a flawed hitter in terms of low OBP uh, and a solid slugging percentage because it is a, a fairly difficult position to play. But uh, if you're combining a poor glove with poor OBP skills, uh, that's not someone who's going to stick around in the majors as a full-time player uh, for very long at all. So, you know, I, I think he's got to, you know, he, either start working on his glove a little bit or start working on his ability to take a walk a little bit. Um, because right now what he's got going for him is solid. He's hitting the ball hard. He's got good isolated power. Um, but even with a sample that seems to suggest, you know, he's having success and doing things well, uh, his war sits at zero, his OBP sits under 300, uh, and we're seeing the flaws of Renato Nunez, uh, stick out. Um, you know, and then one point uh, back towards C.J. Crone. Uh, you mentioned how good this Twins team has been around him. Just so many 500 slugging percentages uh, in this lineup. I do think Crone's still a, a hitter, probably playing a little bit over his head as of right now. Um, but, you know, I, I think C.J. Crone is the kind of player where uh, C.J. Crone's the reason to me why, even if you don't know who the players are going to be going into the year, you always kind of, are willing to wait on first base because I know some people were saying in draft season this year that they were afraid of waiting on first base because they didn't know what kind of options would be down there. Um, but ultimately it's just, it's a position that's supposed to breed hitters. That's, you know, you don't make it very far as a first base prospect if you can't hit really well. And if you can hit really well, but can't play any other position, they'll put you at first base. And ultimately I think that's the position where, you know, you can get a guy, even if it's just for a season, who happens to do the, uh, you know, a lighter version of Jesus Aguilar last year uh, with the 260 and the 30 home runs. So uh, I think that's what's interesting uh, on on the C.J. Crone front. Um, you know, a couple more players uh, that I think might bear a little bit of mentioning. Um, I, I looked up some, some players who have been dropped in a lot of leagues. Uh, J.A. Happ stuck out. Uh, I was hoping that he could be a little bit better in, in New York, but at 36 years old, it's hard to keep the faith even 
uh, as much as I, I had it last year. Um, Mario Gonzalez is a, a buy low to me, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at uh, changing in ownership percentages in ESPN leagues. So uh, these are probably shallow leagues with a lot of movement that some of these players are getting dropped in. But at the same time, the fact that Mario Gonzalez has one of the highest drop percentages in baseball does suggest that, you know, there is a, a, a potential for someone listening to this uh, to have Marco Gonzalez uh, becoming available uh, in, in your league. I, I know uh, we're, we're Cubs fans. Uh, Jason Hayward got to a hot start, but uh, hasn't been pressing fantasy owners as of late. Another guy that fits that, another two guys that fit that description are uh, Enrique Hernandez and Christian Walker, who have struggled uh, as of late. Um, you know, we talked about Hunter Pence a bit, I believe, last week. Um, but he's been off to a very strong start to the season. Uh, someone who slips under the radar a little bit because of his, um, you know, lack of power and speed for one, but also his age. You know, after a certain age, I think we uh, give up on the concept of turning it around, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, uh, going away, obviously, and in most competitive leagues, all of these players are owned, but just, just showing the uh, – the changing in values with the most owned players. We've seen a lot of movement on Austin Riley and Tommy LaStella, uh, very strong. Uh, Tommy LaStella's teammate, you know, we talked about the Angels not really putting it together yet, but a couple of Angels have been uh, really solid and better than expected in terms of LaStella, Fletcher, um, Brian Goodwin to an extent. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Angels thing is still just the fact that if you would take pool holes and put a player there, that would earn a $20 million, $25 million contract at first base, you know, Paul Goldschmidt over the last few years. Uh, so many things would look different on that team because that really is what they're missing. Uh, I really am, have been a fan of Billy Appler. I think he's been doing a pretty good job of doing the small things that, uh, you know, GMs have to do to, to put together some, some good value players consistently. What he's really struggled to do uh, is find a way to, you know, put any player that, you know, we talk about Batman and Robins, but, you know, we haven't found any, you know, substitute superhero to put next to Mike Trout's Superman the last few years. Um, you know, Justin Upton's probably the closest thing all he's had uh, this year is turf toe so far. So uh, very interesting cases uh, there with the Angels. Um, any of these players or, or any others stick out to you? I know uh, I know Brandon Woodruff's being added in a lot of leagues. I know we talked about Martin Perez. Uh, a little bit before the show, just because he's pitching uh, right this minute. Uh, he's being out in quite a few leagues. And uh, Frankie Montas, a player that I've been a big fan of since the start of the year, uh, if he still happens to be available, I see that he's being added uh, in quite a few leagues as well. So uh, any of these players uh, bring up some talking points, Kyle? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with those guys. But I, I think, too, if we're going to talk about someone who was drafted and then dropped after a slow start, but, you know, a, a guy like Kyle Schwarber that has been getting uh, – are, are, are giving better at-bats, quality at-bats. They have been uh, hitting him leadoff, I want to say, the past six, seven games. And, you know, he's he's looked good. And one of the differences 
for me that I've seen is he's willing to use the opposite uh, part of the field there. He's not looking to pull everything. When he does start to pull everything, you do see his hips start to fly open, which is understandable. You will see that with players that are pull happy. But, you know, he is starting to hit the ball the opposite way. He did that. He let off uh, last night's game against uh, uh, Wade Miley uh, on a slider that hung up a little bit, but on the outside part of the plate, and he was able to drive it to the opposite part into the Crawford boxes. So, you know, a, a guy like him, uh, definitely uh, someone to keep an eye on. I'll, I'll tell you what, there was a player – he is from my area originally, but he got his first start this past season, uh, Zach Plesak, for for the Indians. I mean, he was able to hold the the Boston Red Sox only one earned run, and he looked awfully good. He was hitting his spots. He was, you know, he, there was contact made, but he was getting out. And, you know, he got the Red Sox uh, uh, this past week, and then he will get his second start of the season uh, uh, this Sunday against the White Sox. So, you know, he's a player, too, in deeper leagues. You know, if you're looking for a, a young arm that, you know, and, and we know what the Indians have done in terms of being able to develop pitching. So he's another player to keep an eye on. And, I mean, if the so- if he can do what he did uh, against the Red Sox versus the White Sox, he's going to be another uh, hot commodity off the waiver wire in fantasy leagues. Yeah, good stuff there, Kyle. I actually uh, happened to miss – earlier, or I misspoke earlier in terms of Martin Perez. He's not pitching right now because he got ran out of this game by the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they batted around in the third inning. He got one out over the course of uh, eight hitters in a row. Uh, single, walk, walk, double. Uh, one out, single, double, single before getting lifted from the game after putting up an ugly six runs uh, in the inning. Uh, the, the Rays now lead eight to nothing in that game. Um, moving on to some of the series to look forward to or recap. Uh, you know, I know we have quite a few uh, series up here, um, three on each side of things. Um, we have about 25 minutes uh, left in the show, and before I have to uh, scurry off into my day job. So, uh, is there uh, any particular uh, series that sticks out or, or topic that you wanted to talk about? Uh, to get us started in this uh, series conversation? Yeah, I think just looking at the recaps of uh, this this past week, uh, you know, one to look at just because of the implications that, I mean, before it's all said and done, these two teams could end up meeting in the World Series, and that's the Cubs and Houston. Now, what I noticed in terms of the pitching was the, the different styles in, in the starting pitchers. Now, Houston did take the first two games of the series, six to five, nine to six, and the Cubs won the final one last night, two to one. But if you're looking at these arms and strength of their starters, I mean, look at game one, uh, Garrett Cole had 12 strikeouts. I mean, Cole Hamels, you know, it's not the same Cole Hamels that we've seen in the past, the guy that can get to 200 strikeouts. That's just not his game anymore. But he does still have an, a, a, a solid uh, uh, secondary pitch. And, you know, and, and he does get swings and misses with that, but he was hittable with four. Uh, he did have four walks, which is something he's not. Uh, I'm not used to seeing from him. But uh, and then looking at game two, John Muster was just absolutely horrendous. Seven earned runs. The Cubs did get to Corbin Martin, the rookie, early on, but I, I mean, when it came down to the bullpen, you know, Houston was able to, or their bullpens, I should say. You know, Houston was able to score on the Cubs, that, you know, that, you know and, and it just wasn't the same uh, versus Houston. Now, also, that being said, looking at guys that have that 
strikeout ability. When we're talking about these high-power offenses, the way to get them out, you've got to be able to get swings and misses. I mean, there's just no, no, no other way around that. When you think of Justin Verlander, you think of Garrett Cole, they do that. This Cubs team, they are a little bit older. They don't have the, 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 the uh, put-away stuff that these other teams do have. Um, that being said, they do pitch to contact at times. But now, uh, at the same time, last night, Kyle Hendricks, again, he was able to shut him down. Eight innings pitch, seven Ks, one walk. He only had one earned run. And, you know, that came by a, a ball that Bregman hit that just missed going into the Crawford boxes. But a thing like that is Kyle Hendricks doesn't have blow-away stuff. But when you don't throw 90 and you do have a cutter and changeup that looks all, almost the same, you got to be able to hit your spots. And he was doing that. And even with this fastball, if you get uh, if you get ahead in the count, he'd throw 90 mile or 88 to 90 mile an hour fastball. He would throw it letter high or above, and he was getting guys swinging and missing at that. When you get a changeup outside the a part of the plate that's around um, 80, 82, and then you get that fastball coming up around your eyes, it does look a lot faster than that. So you can see the different styles of these two teams. Both have prolific offenses. We did see uh, Rizzo go deep in the first one. We we saw uh, Addison Russell who's hit uh, home runs in three straight games, uh, and, and David Cody put it together. And of course, Alex Bregman got his lead leading or AL league leading 17th home run. And you know, so that's something to pay attention to. And one other thing too, if you didn't watch this game, was that that, that rope foul ball that Albert Elmora hit in the stands and hit a young child and. You know, you saw him break down. He was absolutely concerned. And, you know, I'm bringing that up because, you know, at times we talk about these guys that put up numbers of, you know, uh, of legends like Babe Ruth and stuff like that. We hear about money, contracts, $300 million, $400 million contracts of the future. But, you know, seeing Elbow and Elmora like that, you've got to see the human side of, the, uh, of, of these players. You know, I think we forget because at times, especially when we're younger, we look up to these guys. They become our idols. But seeing Albert Elmore like that, seeing the human side, the human aspect of the game, I, I, I thought that was something that kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of it, it hit me because you're like, wow, you know, this guy gets it. He's really concerned for the safety of a child and just human in general. So, you know, especially with all the craziness in the world, I thought that was uh, pretty spectacular to see just because you saw that human side of the game. Um but, yeah, moving on to the uh, uh, other two series I wanted to talk about. Looking at St. Louis and Philadelphia, too, I mean, there's these two teams. Philadelphia, we know what they can do. You know they're going to be near the top of their division. St. Louis, we said, hadn't just hasn't panned out. And, you know, the thing is, what I noticed, too, we talked about a few episodes ago, the struggles that, you know, um, Reese Hoskins and, and uh, Bryce Harper, were they were getting on base but they were struggling with the strikeout. Well, this series, the heart of that Phillies order, uh, just one through five, they were getting it done. They were hitting guys hard. Uh, I, I don't know why, but yesterday uh, um, the Cardinals threw out Genesis Cabrera, a rookie from AAA. This guy had a, a above six ERA, and I, I don't understand why they brought him up. And when they uh, interviewed Mike Schilt, he said, well, you know, our, our scouts say that he's pitched better. To bring a guy up like this who hasn't been successful this season in AAA and throw him up against the Phillies offense just kind of blows my mind. I don't get it. And I mean, him, he was hit hard. Michael Walker was hit hard. That's not a good sign, and that's what I was talking about with, with the Cardinals pitching, not being what they thought it was going to be, at least at this point in the season. And I mean, Aaron, and Aaron Nola just 
you know, he, he I mean, he, he shut him down, and that's what we've come to expect from him. And, you know, finally, St. Louis, dude, they did get a, a win this year, or excuse me, this year, uh, in the series today to go to Hudson. Looked pretty good, six innings pitch, four Ks, not a guy that's going to get a high number of strikeouts, but he, he, you know, he does pitch the contact at times. So, you know, it just, just shows that Philadelphia is definitely a, a superior team to St. Louis, and St. Louis does have, work to do and you know the last recap I wanted to hit on was Washington at Atlanta. Washington has struggled. David Martinez has been on the hot seat no question about that and Atlanta's up and coming but now uh, game one and two Washington did win, did win these games and Strasburg shut them down uh, uh, the first game uh, uh, 11K, 7 innings pitch Austin Riley did get a 6 home run of the season and you're talking about a rookie who had high potential you know, there were concerns for me, especially writing about him the past few seasons about the strikeout potential. But so far, he's been locked in. He's been hitting the contact. Pitchers will make adjustments. So I, there's going to be some regression. I just don't think some of his numbers are sustainable. But uh, he's locked in right now. And then, you know, yesterday's game, I mean, Washington absolutely obliterated Atlanta. I mean, Kevin Gausman, for as well as he pitched, I was not expecting this. He only pitched one inning, eight earned runs. And the crazy thing about that was not a single home run was hit off of him. So this was just all off of guys just getting line drive base hits, shooting the gas. And and, and then on the opposite side, Anibal Sanchez was able to uh, really uh, slow down Atlanta's bats. But at the same time, like I said about Austin Riley, he did get his seventh home run of the season. So, you know, there's two teams that had high expectations, but I think they're on the different uh, spectrum of things with Atlanta competing, young talent, Washington, their offense just hasn't really been been clicking like we thought. But, you know, if they can get Juan Soto going and, and get Victor Robles going, that's truly what they need. And, you know, getting some run support for Max Scherzer and, and getting him going, I think this team can rebound. But so it was good to actually see them make some adjustments and, and, and take two, uh, two games against a very, very solid Atlanta team. Yeah, you know, when it comes to this Washington Nationals team, uh, I, I don't necessarily love uh, the way that they've distributed all the funds. I don't I don't love, you know, I know our Cubs have done it too, but I don't love the, the multiple giant contracts given to the starting pitcher. Um, I think it's just kind of a variable to bet on. But at the same time, you know, with, with Scherzer, uh, uh, with Strasburg, uh, uh, with Corbin for these Nationals, uh, they have – you know, the potential for one of the best top threes, not just in the National League, but in all of baseball. Uh, and then they have guys like Rendon, Soto, uh, Robles, uh, who figure to, you know, Turner when he comes back, um, uh, or uh, Trey Turner just in general, um, that, you know, form the core of a very strong offense. Um, so, you know, you see all the pieces there for a team that should be competitive and, and make it far. Um, they don't necessarily have, uh, you know, even even with losing Harper, which is a big deal, uh, I wouldn't say that they necessarily have any excuses uh, when it comes to uh, to competing. You know, you, you mentioned Kyle Hendricks earlier. Uh, this is more of a personal tale. Um, but uh, I, I um, you know, I play in a league that I ended up making the mistake of taking a nap and uh, not taking James Paxton out of my IL spot before the two o'clock game, uh, which made my entire roster illegal uh, and made me unable to make uh, roster moves. So I ended up make, uh, missing uh, Hendrix's start, uh, Griffin Canning's start, and James Paxton's start. 
because of that. Uh, so that that was a bit of a, a, a rough day for me there. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the one thing that interests me uh, in terms of the bullpens, one thing that uh, I've been talking about. You know, we talked about it last week, uh, and maybe we should have talked about it earlier. But you know, Steve Cishet continues to uh, be the guy that that it seems that the Cubs are going to turn to uh, in the ninth inning role. Uh, and then for the Atlanta Braves, uh, who we also mentioned in, in, in this weekly recap section, um, you know, Luke Jackson has, he, he has the one thing that sticks out. I think the most, when we look at closers uh, on the negative side, which is the blown saves, and he does have a fair number of blown saves, but you know, in general, he's also been still fairly solid as a relief pitcher. Um, I believe all blown saves, but one that he's had to this point, uh, have been one run leads and you know not not to say that uh, that gives him excuse he's still failing to do his job um you know it, it does stand to reason that not all save opportunities uh are created equal and obviously uh or at least I would assume I I've never seen the numbers uh, that I can recall I would assume the uh percentage of successfully saved ninth inning games with a one run lead uh, is quite a bit higher than, than three-run lead. So I guess what I'm just getting at is that Luke Jackson's blown some games, but I don't necessarily know if it's indicative of him not being able to uh, hold down the closing role. I've been fairly interested with him uh, and, and fairly interested with him as you know a potential buy low uh, based on where his stock value is right now. Um, that said, you know this isn't an argument for the Braves to not bring in a player uh, because ultimately, I, I I think that the Braves need uh, bullpen help, regardless on if they feel comfortable with a closer or not. I think at best they have you know two relievers that they really feel com- comfortable in. Um, you know the two guys that were supposed to define their back end. One of them is not even on the same uh, on the on the team anymore, uh, and we haven't seen uh, you know what what we expected out of AJ Minter so far today. Um, so, you know, the Braves are a team that, that just need to add to this bullpen in general. Um, but but that said, going back to the original point, I think Luke Jackson, because of the blown saves, has gotten a little bit of a bad rap uh, as a guy who can't be a closer or a guy who's a blow-up waiting to happen. Uh, he's been one of the more solid relief pitchers uh, to date this year. And, you know, if Atlanta did move forward with him uh, in a continuing capacity, I, I think they would have some things to look forward to. Uh, and I think he would be able to do a solid job in the role. Um, anything to look forward to or any, any big talking points stick out to you uh, looking forward to this weekend series? Yeah, it was supposed to start this week, but uh, or I should say it's supposed to start today, but the game was canceled. But I was looking forward to Boston and, and the Yankees. I mean, AL, AL uh, East. Uh, rivals there, uh, division foes, and you know, you know, I wanted, I was really interested in seeing the pitching matchups because, you know, tomorrow uh, Eduardo Rodriguez versus Jay Happ, and like you said too, you know, you, you went over it extremely well with Jay Happ, and you know, th- expecting him to pitch better than he has, but at 36, what can we expect from him? And you know, both of these offenses, they've battled injuries they've had slow starts uh for some players on, on both sides of the thing but you know players that uh just stick out to, for me to watch i want to see how um a, a, a guy like Labrador who's been you know awfully awfully good this season how he's gonna you know do against boston you know show that hey we're ready we're here we want to take this division you know especially uh, over as time progresses they will uh get aaron judge and john Carlos stanton back but 
you know, the opposite side too with Boston. They don't want to fall behind the division. You, you know, you don't want to do that. You want to be able to beat the Yankees, no question about it. And you know, this division, this this matchup, by far out of all sports, doesn't matter what the sport is. Watching Red Sox Yankees games, my favorite series to watch, even more than the uh, Bears and Packers. So now I'm looking forward to this. It always brings excitement. Uh, two other ones, Philly and the Dodgers, both you know have have the ability to win their division, no question about it. Uh, I, I feel we're going to have some pretty solid pitching matchups, and especially game one, Arietta, Kenta Maeda. Um, then we get Eflin versus Kershaw, and then finally at the end there, Pavetta and Hill. Um, I mean, what can we say about uh, about Cody Bellinger? I mean, we can go on and on and on. You know, I, I talked about Josh Bell being a top three. I did Bellinger one, Christian Yelich two, and, and, and Josh Bell three for that MVP race. But, I, I mean, Bellinger's locked in. He's sitting there. He's going to set some crazy records this year. There's no doubt about it. I don't – I mean, the sky's the limit with him. I talked about that 1998 season with Juan Gonzalez when he ended with 157 RBIs on the season. I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying he's going to come close. I don't uh, – I'm, I'm not going to say he's going to tie it or break it, but I think he could come close, Cody Bellinger, because that's how locked in he is. And just everything he hits, it doesn't matter if it's lefties or righty, he's just doing damage against everyone right now. Phillies, too. I, I mean, I guarantee Bryce Harper is going to want to come out and do well against the Dodgers. It's in L.A. You know, he wants to show why he got that contract. So it's going to be a fun series, too. The last one might be the best one. And, you know, you were talking about it earlier. Minnesota and Tampa Bay, both of these teams playing well, playing good enough to be leaders of their division. They're going to be there. And, you know, two teams that you probably at the beginning of the season, I don't know if anyone would have tabbed either of them to win, you know, win a World Series, but they're competing, you know, and they're doing extremely well. So, you know, this is definitely the series um, that I'd be keeping an eye on. I think it's going to be great to see. We know what Minnesota can uh, can do. You know, I know you'd love to go on about Polanco. He's been absolutely brilliant. Eddie Rosario has been brilliant. On the other side with Tampa Bay, too seeing what they've been getting out of their pitching, using uh, using that, that that opener. It has worked for them. It really, truly has worked. So, you know, that's something to pay attention to. Austin Meadows as well. So, you know, these are three series that I'm very, very interested in paying attention to this week, weekend, I should this weekend. Yeah, all that uh, sounds great. Uh, I've been trying to pull up the, these records again because we were talking about them earlier. Uh, but, you know, the combined record uh, of this Twins-Rays series is about 70 wins, I believe more than 70 wins, uh, and fewer than 40 losses, which is, you know, a- absolutely incredible, uh, especially for these two teams at this point of the season. You know, I think a lot of people had uh, the Rays uh, as maybe a dark horse candidate for the playoffs, but they didn't expect them to reign over the AL East uh, like they have so far this year. And then in terms of the Twins, you know, maybe it was a little bit influenced by the fact um, but this time last year, or maybe not this time last year, but preseason last year, before the 2018 season, a lot of people had the Twins uh, as that sleeper team. You know, they were on a lot of lists. People were looking at uh, a renewed Buxton, Miguel Sano, uh, and a lot of other reasons that, that people expected this Twins team uh, to turn it around last year. And not only did they not turn it around, but they, uh, you know, ended up going the other way pretty fast. Uh, you know, as good as they've been, two months into this season was as bad as I, I believe they were uh, two months in, into last season. Uh, and, and although sh- 
you know, hopes got shot right away. So I feel like the kind of people who were buying into this team for the exact same reasons uh, this time last year uh, were maybe hesitant at the beginning of this year. Well, well now everything's clicking. Uh, they've added Cruz. Uh, C.J. Crone is a more low-key ad, but he's been incredible. Um, you know, Jorge Polanco looking like he might get a, a full season off the PED suspension is looking uh like a true, true breakout uh, right before his age 26, or right before he turns 26, rather. Um, you, know, you mentioned the Harper coming to L.A., the team that everyone thought he was, the place that everyone thought he wanted to go. Uh, the one guy I really want to see get going, though, in terms of the L.A. side of things is Corey Sigu. been a big fan of his for a long time. And, and when it comes to RBIs for Bellinger, you know, it, it comes down to how good some of these Dodgers are going to be around him. He's got some good OVP guys in front of him. Uh, and a, you know, a front office philosophy that focuses on OBP. Uh, but I, I would like to see uh, Seager, you know, come up to not not necessarily his level or the level he's playing at right now, but, you know, I still see Corey Seager as one of the better hitters in baseball over the course of the next few years. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like to see him start to put together more and more uh, good games as, as we move forward and, and see him make some re- some quicker recovery uh, off that injury. Um you know, we got about five minutes left in the show. Do you, do you have anything else that you wanted to, to touch on real quick, Kyle? Uh, just, you know, like we said, you know, we'll probably find a way to do a radio show sometime. Who, who knows what, what uh, the next four months of the baseball season could bring. Um, but for now, in terms of the plan uh, of things, uh, you know, we'll have the normal, normally hosted by Brian Roach show uh, on Sunday. Um, I'll be on that show most Sundays. Sometimes uh, when Brian can't do it, I'll probably be hosting it as well. Uh, but this is this is our last show on Thursday, or at least at this time and, and such uh, for the year. Uh, so uh, any last comments or, or any, any one last thing, either for this week or in general, Kyle? Yeah, um, just looking at streamers for the week. Uh, if you're looking for some pitchers, either in you know uh, lower owned in, in DFS leagues, or that should still be available in your in your league in general, especially redraft leagues. Uh, I like looking at a guy like Tyler Skaggs tomorrow versus Seattle. Um, he's pitched well. We know what the offense can do. I, I feel like LA has come up uh, awfully big in Angels' offense at times, and they're they're getting Seattle at the perfect moment. Again, I talked about this earlier in the show. Their offense has struggled. It's not what we saw uh, to start the season. You, you know, you mentioned the injury with J.P. Crawford earlier. D. Gordon's still not back. Uh, I feel like you know some of these guys are you know having a, a little bit of issues, if you will, slumps. You know they, that they will have to get through. And now's the time to pick on a team like that. Um, then Saturday, looking the same, the same matchup, uh, Andrew Heaney versus Seattle. I do like him as well. Uh, going against that Seattle team should be solid. Um, Blast, I did mention his name a little bit ago, but looking at a guy like Zach Klesak against the Sox, he's going to have a low ownership in all leagues. He's going to have a very low ownership as well in, in daily fantasy. If you're looking to beef up that lineup, and go for pitchers with uh, low ownership in, in DFS. I look at him against the White Sox. And, you know, just to hit on what I mentioned before, after what he did earlier in the week against the Red Sox, he was able to get through five innings pitch. So, you know, that was solid. He can do it again against the, the White Sox. The thing about the White Sox, they do have some pop in the lineup. But at the same time, they do strike out a lot. And I think the potential could be there for him to, to, to rack up a solid amount of strikeouts. I'd say maybe the five to eight range. 
So, you know, I, I like the potential there. Um, but, yeah, like you, like you hit on, it's been awesome posting the Thursday shows, co-hosting, I should say, with you. Um, I'm sure it's a long season. We're only through the first two months, so I'm sure at some point you guys will catch me on that Sunday show. Um, I'd love to do it. I enjoy talking uh, talking baseball with you on Thursday, so I look forward uh, to not only next season, but, again, like I said, I'm sure I will pop up on some Sunday shows. So I do appreciate it. It's been awesome. Yeah, sounds great, Kyle. Uh, good to have you on one last time. I- I'll definitely uh, uh, m- miss doing these uh, Thursday shows, uh, but uh, have a nice night. All right, buddy. You too. Um, and, and, you know, like I alluded to earlier, I'm uh, off to get to my normal day job. Uh, Kyle's off. Uh, you know, if you're a fan of sports in general, again, the show's not going away. It's just me and Kyle are going away, and it's uh, it's turning into a football show. Uh, so, uh, you know, if, if you like the idea of listening to a Major League Fantasy Sports football radio show moving forward, you can catch it uh, either at this time or maybe close to 8 o'clock on Thursdays moving forward. Um, but uh, this will wrap it up for for my time consistently hosting this Thursday show. Uh, it's been a it's been a great time hosting it for you guys. I hope you guys have had a good time listening. Uh, and until the next time I host the show, I will see you guys.